How many of you are Bible refugees? You go, what's a Bible refuge? Well, you came out of churches where the Bible wasn't being preached. Yeah. Well, Kelowna is filling up. Calvary Chapel, Kelowna is filling up with Bible refugees. And I say, Lord, send them. We'll take them. Amen? Amen. Time is short, and we have to be about the Lord's business. You guys need a new building. Where's your faith, bro? What's going on here? <laughs> Reminds me of a story of uh, two brothers, Ron and Ralph. Very bad guys. Uh, cheats, corrupt, womanizers, fighters, cursors. Lived in a town that they, they owned most of the land. And uh, basically, uh, <clears throat> one of them died. And so the brother went to the local pastor and said, listen, I know that your church is growing and you're looking at a parcel of land that we own. So I want you to do my brother's funeral. And if you call him a saint, we'll give you the parcel of land to build your new church. Pastor says, done. We can do it. So the day of the funeral, he gets up and he begins to talk about Ronnie. And he says, hey, we all, we all know Ron was a miserable cuss. We all know that he was a cheater and a fighter, but hey, compared to his brother, he was a saint. <laughs> all right, let's turn in our Bibles to Hebrews 11 this morning. From time to time, we've had the pleasure of meeting some of you who have been up in the Okanagan vacationing and you've come to worship with us and so it's been wonderful to meet you. I can't tell you how incredibly thrilling it is to see what God is doing here in Langley and to see the hunger in God's people um, and uh, the simplicity of just putting your faith and your trust in God's word. <clears throat> I don't know the exact words that Spurgeon said, but when it came to the Bible, he likened it to a lion. And he said, listen, I don't have to convince anybody about what a lion can do or what he says. I just open the cage and let him roar. Well, we just open the Bible and let it speak. Amen? <clears throat> well, I've been in the book of Hebrews with our church. So if you have your Bibles, let's turn to Hebrews chapter 11 this morning. And as we do, let's pray. Father, we ask that you would bless our time together today and that you would speak and encourage our hearts that you would be lifted up. And we pray if there's anyone here today that's never made a commitment to Christ, that, Lord, you would speak to their hearts and bring them into your family today. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. amen. Well, I uh, have been speaking... Um, on the book of Hebrews. I love the book of Hebrews because Hebrews is basically the New Testament commentary on the Old Testament. And you can't go through the book of Hebrews without knowing the Old Testament because everything in the book of Hebrews is written to Jewish believers. And the writer is basically telling them that Jesus is the better uh, and superior fulfillment to everything they as Jews had known. 
Jesus is the better sacrifice. Jesus is the better priest. Jesus is the better covenant. Uh, Jesus is better than the angels. Jesus is better than Moses. And so everything in the book of Hebrews is a commentary on the Old Testament. And so when you teach through the book of Hebrews, you're basically giving your people an Old Testament flyby because everything in the book of Hebrews is based on the Old Testament. Amen? So we've been talking about faith here in uh, chapter 11. Brent is on his phone reading all of his emails. No, you're not. Don't kid me. <clears throat> oh, look at this picture. Oh, this is us in Germany, honey. <clears throat> we know what's going on there. <clears throat> <laughs> and so that's why I've really enjoyed it. And so the first 10 chapters has been 10 chapters of doctrine, why Jesus is better and superior to everything that these believers had known. He gives multiple warnings about not drifting away, not going back. And now he gets to the application. He starts talking about faith. Now, there's a few things that we know about faith. Number one, there's nobody in this room today that doesn't have faith. It might not be faith in the God of the Bible, but you have faith. You have a worldview. It's predicated upon what you've heard, who you've been listening to, and what you've been reading, and you have faith. And everything that you're doing in life is based upon your faith in what you believe. Amen? Now, the second thing that we know about faith is that Faith is only as good as the object that it's in. You might have faith in your faith. That's not biblical faith. Biblical faith is in the God of the Bible. You might have faith in your beauty. You might have faith in your muscles. You might have faith in your bank account. You might have faith in a lot of things. But will that faith in the end actually uh, be a faith that saves you? Now, the fact of the matter is, is that there are no good people in heaven. Not one. The only type of people that are in heaven are saved people. And the only way that you get saved is by faith. And so today, the writer to Hebrews is talking about faith. And he uses many examples in the Old Testament of how faith operated. And so today... I want to talk to you about verse 7. I want to talk to you about Noah. It says there in verse 7, By faith Noah, being divinely warned of things not yet seen, moved with godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his household, by which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is according to faith. Now, isn't it interesting that in one verse we have a commentary on the entire life and ministry of this guy called Noah. One verse. Now, we first hear about Noah, where? In the book of Genesis, chapter 5, verses 28 and 29. It says there, when Lamech, which is uh, Noah's father, had lived 182 years, about the same age as Brent, he had a son. He named him Noah and said, he will comfort us 
in the labor and painful toil of our hands caused by the ground the Lord has cursed. Now, very interesting, right from the start in the book of Genesis, we see that Noah is a very special person. You know Noah is only 10 generations removed from creation. If the genealogies are correct, only 10 generations have passed and Noah has a son, or Lamech has a son named Noah. And he says that Noah will bring relief. Now we know that he was going to bring relief because when we read a little later this morning in Genesis chapter 6, that the world had totally uh, lost its morals, lost its way, and it became uh, absolutely unrighteous. And there was none that did good, and God was going to bring judgment. Now, what do we know about Noah? Well, we know that he's mentioned in a few places in the Bible. He's mentioned twice in the book of Ezekiel, where God said that even if Noah, Daniel, and Job were alive, God would not spare the people from judgment. Now, to be in the same sentence as Job and Daniel is pretty high company. So we know that Noah was a man who walked with God. Uh, Peter talks about Noah in his epistles. In 1 Peter 3.20, he said, When once the divine long-suffering waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is, eight souls, were saved through water. In 2 Peter 2.5, it says, And did not spare the ancient world, but saved Noah one of eight people, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood on the world of the ungodly. So from these two verses, we know that God was patient with the coming judgment that he was going to bring on the world, but that when Noah built the ark, a day of judgment was going to come. And that's the way that God operates in the world. Judgment is coming, but before judgment comes, God offers mercy and grace to those who will listen to him. And we are in such a day as today. The day of his coming is soon, but in the meantime, we live in a day of grace where the gospel can be preached and people can give their lives to Christ, be forgiven of their sin, and as it were, go into the ark of safety, which is our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, Jesus spoke of Noah. Now, when you read through the Gospels, I always underline the people that Jesus talks about in the Old Testament. Do you know that Jesus affirms creation? He said, in the beginning, when God created, so Jesus affirmed creation. He should know he's the one that did it, right? But he also affirms Noah and the flood. In Matthew 24, verses 37 and 38, Jesus speaking, but as the days of Noah were, so also will, uh, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark. Now, you know what I like about this? Number one, Jesus himself affirms Noah was a historical person. He confirms that he actually built an ark and that a flood came upon the earth. Now, if Jesus said that Noah existed, that the ark was really built and a flood came upon the world, I think he knows more about it than you and I. And we can affirm the, his, 
The historicity that the Bible is true and that Noah actually lived and built an ark and there was a great flood. Thank you. Luke chapter 17, verses 26 and 27, Jesus speaking. And as it was in the days of Noah, so it will also be in the days of the Son of Man. They ate, they drank, they married wives. You might want to underline that one in your Bible today. They married wives. They were given in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. In other words, very interestingly, Jesus said, my coming is going to be like the days of Noah. And the days of Noah are described for us in, in quite a bit of detail in Genesis chapter 6. So if you have your Bibles, turn there. And I want to start reading to you and give you some context about this guy called Noah and what the days were like when he lived. Because Jesus said, my coming is going to be like it was in the days of Noah. Well, what was it like in the days of Noah? Genesis 6 gives us the answer. Then the Lord saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth. Well, how, how great was his wickedness? Get this. And that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he made man on the earth and he was grieved in his heart. So the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I've created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, creeping things and birds of the air. For I am sorry that I have made them, but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Verse 9. This is the genealogy of Noah. Noah was a just man, perfect in his generations. Noah walked with God, and Noah begot three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. The earth was also corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with violence. God looked upon the earth, and indeed it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And God said to Noah, The end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with violence through them, and behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood, make rooms in the ark, and cover it inside and outside with pitch. Drop down to verse 17. And behold, I myself am bringing floodwaters on the earth to destroy from under heaven all flesh in which is the breath of life. Everything that is on the earth shall die, but I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall go into the ark you, your sons, your wife, and your sons' wives with you. Drop down to verse 22. Thus Noah did according to all that God commanded him, so he did. What were the days of Noah like? The days of Noah were so bad that it says that the only thoughts that men could think were evil continually. There was nothing. Man couldn't even conceive of what good was anymore. I was talking with a friend last night about the times that we live in, and he made a very interesting statement. He said, we are living in a time where Western civilization has become unhinged from all morality. And that is simply the truth of the matter. You know, when you can ask a prospective Supreme Court judge of the United States to define what a woman is and she can't answer, you know you're in trouble. I'd hate to say, tell you what, if I was there, what I would say. 
I just say, pull down your drawers. I'll tell you what a man and a woman is. It's not that hard. Now, in the first seven, chap- or first seven verses of Hebrews, we have these examples from the book of Genesis. He talked about Abel. Abel Abel sacrificed by faith. Then he talks about Enoch. Enoch walked by faith. And now we come to Noah. What is the example that he wants to pull out about faith from Noah? And it's very simple, and it's what I want to talk to you about today. Noah obeyed by faith. Now, I want to say something to you today that you all know, but it's why they pay me the big bucks Biblical faith has fruit. Biblical faith has fruit. He said, come on, so I said it twice. (laughs) Now, biblical faith doesn't try to to produce fruit in order to be saved. It is because we're saved, and the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, indwells us that we supernaturally, naturally bring forth fruit. So if we really believe in God, there will be evidence to the profession of our faith in the way that we live, in the things that we say, and in the things that we do. You can't sleep with your girlfriend. You can't cheat on your wife or your husband. You can't do those things and possibly say you have saving faith. Unless, of course, you repent. Because then the Holy Spirit would convict you. But if anyone is comfortable in the presence of sin and the continual practice of sin, I would have a very hard time assuring you of your salvation. Because true biblical faith has fruit. Jesus said, by your fruits you shall know them. Now, we're not fruit inspectors, right? We're not sin sniffers. But we know that when we look at the word of God, we know that there are some things that are very obvious. The fruit of the spirit is joy, love, peace, long-suffering, patience, and the fruit of the flesh is listed before it. And and the, the apostle Paul says, those that practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, Satan has always tried to confuse people on this matter about faith and works. Now, what is the greatest obstacle in Canada about getting saved? People get offended that their good works won't save them. Hey, I am a good person. I'm as good as Brent. Well, if you want to set the bar that low, (laughs) sure. Sure, you're as good as Brent. But the thing that offends people is is that good works won't save you. I'm a good person. Of course you're a good person, but as I said before, there's no good people in heaven. There's just saved ones. And the question isn't whether you're good or better or whatever. The question is, are you saved? Well, are you? Well, how do you get saved? You get saved by faith. What does faith do? It does what? Noah does. It obeys God. Now, if this strategy works, that you feel that you can be saved by being a good person, you will be lost to God. 
But if a person trusts in God and is saved, then Satan tries to convince Christians of one of two extremes. Oh, now that I'm saved, I have to do good works in order to keep my salvation. That's legalism, right? That's a terrible way to live. You know, if you're living your life as a Christian today by trying to do things to please God, you must be the most miserable person on the face of the earth. You do what you do because you love Jesus and you know that Jesus loves you and it's your desire to do it. We're not doing, we don't go to prayer meetings because I have to, because we love to pray. We don't worship because we have to, it's because we get to, right? We don't read our Bible because, oh, you know, I love Jesus. No, because it's a delight to read God's word. The other thing is, is the other extreme is, well, now I'm saved, I get to do whatever I want. We call that license. Or as we call it in the biz, greasy grace. Right? No, true grace doesn't lead us to sin. It leads us apart from sin. Right? So, what do we know? From Genesis to Revelation, the Bible is clear. That a person who is saved by faith fruit will follow them. Now, Noah's faith was remarkable. Why was his faith remarkable? Because he looked like a complete fool in the eyes of man for a very long time, 120 years. We know that God called him at 500, and it took 120 years to build the ark. But he was faithful in spite of his circumstances, and he was obedient in the long run. So today, that's my introduction. So today, (laughs) I know there's another service coming. I got it. I want to look at briefly three dynamics of how Noah's faith worked obediently, how he exercised faith. First of all, in chapter 11, verse 7, the first thing we notice is that by faith, Noah responded to God. He responded to God. Look at verse 7. By faith, Noah, being divinely warned of the things not yet seen, moved with godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his household. It's difficult to imagine how this message must have sounded to Noah, living in the middle of modern-day Iraq, with no lakes around and certainly no oceans. And God says, hey, Noah, I want you to build an ark. Great. What's an ark? Well, it floats on water. Great. What's water? Well, it's a big ocean. What's an ocean? Never mind, just build it. One commentator said of Noah, Noah doubtlessly had a lot of things of his own to do when God called him. Yet when God called him, he surrendered all his time and effort to start building a boat, which took a special kind of commitment. You know, folks, when God speaks to you and calls you, you're going to have a lot of stuff going on in your life, right? Like, it's not like God's going to speak to you when I have time, when life settles down, uh, when the kids are a little older, when the kids leave. The kids never leave. They always come back. God's going to speak to you at the most craziest times. 
But Noah dropped what he was doing and he obeyed God. Secondly, he had no experience in shipbuilding. He had no access to building supplies. There wasn't a Home Depot just down the road where he went and bought extension cords and power drills. I mean, even his sons were born years after God gave him the command to go and build the ark. One of the greatest practical acts of faith in all of the Bible was the day that Noah picked up an axe and went out into the forest and cut the first tree, the first gopher wood tree. I've always wanted to know what gopher wood is. Go for it? I don't know. He walked out and he cut that first tree down to make an ark. Can you imagine the faith? Well, listen, folks. A lot of times we like, to th we like to glamorize God using us or whatever. In one sense, God just gives you an ax and says, go out into the forest and cut your first tree. That's what he says. Just start where you are. Our text tells us that he was divinely warned of the things not seen. He didn't know what was coming. He hadn't got it all figured out. He'd never seen rain. He didn't know what a flood was. But... As it tells us in verse 1 of chapter 11, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the, convictions of not, uh, the conviction of things not seen. So by faith, Noah prepared an ark. He had nothing to go on but God's word, which was for him more than sufficient. We're not told how he got the tools. We're not, we don't know how he got the equipment to cut, mold, shape, plane or hoist every piece of wood into place but he must have been a very resourceful man to be able to do it because he did it faithfully for 120 years how long have you been walking with god 120 minutes 120 days two years oh man lord like how long well take a page out of noah's book 120 years of building one project. Now, you know, the Bible tells us that God gave him the instructions, and the Bible says, build it this many cubits by this many cubits. Well, a cubit is from this finger, the, your, that finger, all the way to your elbow, which is about 17 and a half to 18 inches. So on that basis, the arc would have been 430 feet, 438 feet long, 73 feet wide, and 44 feet high. It would have been one and, one and a half times the length of a football field and more than four stories high. 96,000 square feet of deck area, kind of like Brent's boat. And uh, <laughs> the total volume... I love preaching here. Uh, the volume would have been 1.3 million cubic feet. Naval engineers have studied the ark and they said that the dimensions and shape of the ark formed the most stable ship design known. Not, not to maneuver, but for stability. Now the one thing that we are told about Noah 
is the attitude in which he had to build the ark. He was moved with godly fear. In other words, when God spoke to him, he treated the word of God with great respect and awe. He was a man of obedient faith even before God called him to build the ark because the Bible tells us that he was a just man, perfect in all his ways, and he walked with God. In other words, before God called him to do this large undertaking, he was faith, faithful in small things. Do you want to be used by the Lord? Be faithful in small things. The second thing is Noah's faith, it was by Noah's faith that, it, that, that condemned the world. What, 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 what does that mean? Uh, what does that mean? It means that Noah's obedience as he was building the ark, he was also condemning the world. Noah, what are you doing? I'm building an ark. And you guys should repent because there's lots of room in the ark and you'll be saved from the judgment that's coming. You are an idiot. You're nuts. There's no such thing as a flood. There's no such thing as God. There's no such thing as judgment. In 2 Peter 2.5, Peter calls him a preacher of righteousness. And so as Noah is building the ark, he's preaching. And I would imagine the preaching was more difficult than the building. Hard jobs are always easier to deal with than hard people. You know what we say in the ministry? Oh man, pastoring is great if it wasn't for the people. <laughs> Can you imagine 120 years, Noah gets up year one, has a coffee with his wife. What am I gonna do today? <gasps> going back into the forest with my ax to cut down wood. Year five, gets up, morning. That's Brent. He was going to send me a very subtle message when I had to wrap up. <laughs> Actually, when, when do I need to wrap up, Brent? Five minutes ago? <laughs> Let's pray. <laughs> no, really. Five minutes? Okay. So Noah's job was that he preached righteousness as he built the ark. And for 120 years, people called him stupid, but he kept building the ark. And lastly, <clears throat> it says that he became an heir of righteousness, which is according to faith. You see, righteousness comes by faith. It doesn't come by good works doesn't become come because you're a good person and if you are a good person I will be the first to shake your hand and congratulate you but righteousness comes through faith and when you put your faith in Christ God declares you righteous so today put your faith in God and obey him and if you haven't done that ever in your life let me just pray a simple prayer worship team would you join me up here please Lord thank you for the simple example that Noah shows us. By faith, he prepared an ark. He obeyed you. When you spoke to him, he dropped what he was doing, and he walked with you. Lord, 
I pray if there's any here today that would like to come into your family and you've never prayed this prayer, that you just say, Jesus, thank you for dying for my sin. Thank you that you love me and that you are willing to forgive me if by faith I would receive it. So today I open my heart, I open my life, and I pray that you would forgive me and come into my life. And for us, Lord, who are building an ark, help us to stay faithful at the task you've given us, that we might just continue to walk by faith and obey you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you.